Well, I'm on a series on the subject of hope. Hope is to be the anchor for our souls. Hope is this this opposite of dread. It's an expectation of an impending good. It doesn't wait for the other shoe to drop. It expects things are going to work together for good. And that sense of expectancy is being challenged constantly in our lives. This is the currency of the kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy, faith, hope, and love. These are anchoring truths. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 15, verse 13, this anchoring prospect of being hopeful. I want you to read this. In fact, can we read it out loud? This is the New American Standard. If you just read it out loud, it'll help you in your faith. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at that again. Now, what does it start out with? It defines God in a title. It describes him as one of his central characteristics as the God of hope. He's the God of confident expectation and firm persuasion. And he is faithful. In fact, Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, to have faith in God. God being faithful, God's whole system is built on faith. Faith is the substance of things we hope for. It's the evidence of things we don't see. It's actually extraordinary. The the prospects of, of being invited to be a Christian are actually pretty radical. We're to love him though we've never seen him. We're to bet our whole life on unseen realities. We're actually to look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. It's pretty revolutionary, really. To walk by faith and not by sight is actually, you know, on one hand, to somebody that's extremely logical and is not persuaded as yet spiritually, it seems foreign or it seems like make-believe. But actually, everything we see has been created by the invisible and yet real God. And he's invited us into this substantial way of life So when you think about it, all that we see with our eyes, hear with our ears, the five physical senses that we're in touch with, it started out with an idea in God's heart and in God's mind. And he said, in the beginning, let there be light. And all this was hurled into existence. You know, how many of you look out in in the sky at night on one of these clear Missouri nights? And some of us live in a place where occasionally you can see glimpses of the Milky Way. David in his time before electricity, had the advantage of no light pollution. So when the sun went down, the stars lit up. You could see them so clearly. What's competing for our time now is the incandescent bulbs that are blazing all over the highways and the shopping malls and the, you know, so it it actually crowds out what can be seen if you get farther out into the country. But David, he said, when I consider the stars and I consider the moon and the work of your hands, And he looks out there in the heavens and he sees so vividly, he sees the shooting stars and he sees the constellations and he sees the patterns of the Milky Way. He said, what is man that you're so mindful of him or the son of man that you take thought of him? David is just thinking, God, you've got all this universe to work with. Why would you zero in on these little human beings? He didn't uh, stay incredulous with it. He he was excited and grateful that God's thoughts were toward him. The Bible says God's thoughts are toward us, and he's mindful of us. He will bless us. There's a lot of talk about mindfulness. The idea of God being mindful toward us 
is that he is thinking about us. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He's the God of hope. He's the God of peace. God is love. But let's just look at this in terms of God being the God of of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The enemy of your soul, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to put a damper on your confidence. He comes to cripple your resourcefulness. He comes to try to hijack your peace. He comes to steal your joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. So he comes to bash these things, joy, try to get you melancholy and depressed. He comes to steal your, your hope and get you in a foreboding dread. Now, how many of you have ever heard that that could happen? It can happen. You could get just seized with dread. He comes to steal the dynamics that build confidence because he knows that if a people will rise up an individual or a family or a group of people or a generation, start standing up and rising up, interesting things will transpire. Jesus will be focused upon more. People will turn to the Lord in greater number. We'll see greater measures of healing and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lifetime. That's why the devil is working overtime to mess with your head. And that's why a person like me would come in week in, week out, year in, year out, and endeavor to preach the gospel to you. It's not so I could hear myself talk. It's in order that faith can come. How will they believe if they've never heard? It says in Romans chapter 10. How will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I think about this. I think about faith comes by hearing the word of God. And love, like faith, is built upon the continual confession of it. And hope for that matter. We need to keep our hopes alive. Everybody say faith, hope, and love. These three abide, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. These three abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The magnitude of these things, the gravity of these elements, we've got to keep them close to our lives, keep them central in our hearts so as not to let them dissipate. Remember, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Why did he strengthen himself? Because his circumstances were so bad. In 1 Samuel, he was in a place called Ziklag, and he came back from a battle, and Somebody had ransacked the village, burned their houses, and and kidnapped their families. And when he got there, people got overwhelmed with upset. His fellow soldiers got so upset that he could hear them talking of stoning him because they were trying to blame him and got upset with him. And so, but David didn't get defensive. David didn't run and hide. But what David did do is he strengthened himself in the Lord as God. And in fact, right now I'm preaching to the choir because you, in fact, have taken a refuge just by the sheer fact that you're here indicates you're not somebody running away and escaping. You're not somebody that's isolating. You're somebody that's willing to press past the circumstances, press past the depression, press past the fog and the haze of the bombardment of the devil, constantly barraging our minds. He accuses us before God day and night. He's the accuser of the brethren, but he's been cast down. And we overcome him by the blood of the lamb by the word of our testimony, and that we love not our lives even unto death. And uh, these, these are powerful, formidable responses to the hating and the oppression and the confusion that's trying to alight upon society and upon the population. God's the God of peace and not confusion. So we know that he, the Prince of Peace has come. 
and he comes and he pours out peace on earth and goodwill toward men. He changes the way we're wired. He changes our, our viewpoints. He changes our disposition. He turns things around. In fact, I'm convinced the hope for all the social ills is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, the Redeemer. Jesus, the one who died on the cross and sacrificed everything so that we could have access to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I watched Jesus come into the, the anti-establishment culture of the era I was in in the 60s and 70s, and I watched Jesus come in and visit us lost, disenfranchised kids and bring us to him, people that weren't even inclined to church, people that didn't really know Jesus, and in fact, were idealizing and identifying with esoteric Eastern kind of concepts and things that were espoused by the rock stars that we so listened to. We were throwing away values, but yet even though we were throwing away values, God valued us and still reached out and magnetized us and drew us. And what was fascinating for me, all the counterculture hippie type people that I was immersed in in Southern California as I grew up, seeing them go to the convention of the simplicity and purity of the gospel and going to Jesus was so fascinating to me. That was not what I thought the conclusion would be. People thought it was, gonna, it was every other place but that fundamental truth. But Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the way maker. Jesus is the one who died on the cross. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's fully God and he's fully man. He's the unique person of the universe. And I'm telling you, he's amazing. He singularly conquered the devil. God sent him to destroy the work of the evil one. So here we are. How did we get to this place? You know, we've come, all of us have come and meandered through a lot of different aspects of his journey, and here we are tonight. I'm convinced from the book of Psalms that God orders our steps. And even if we fall, we're not hurled headlong because the Lord's there to lift us right back up. So he's the glory and the lifter of our heads. That's one of the songs we sang so much years ago. And that's the part of us that needs to be lifted out of the confusion, out of the distortion, out of the distraction, out of the mind-blinding, mind-numbing oppression, out of the conflict and out of the magnetizing to the lesser things. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that it's contagious. And I believe God wants us to become contagious with hope. You know, just so many of the disappointments of life, so much of the upset that we try to come and seize us, you know, but yet there's joy and peace in our belief system. I'm a believer. I'm not a doubter. I believe in God. He that comes to God, it says in Hebrews 11:6. 6, he that comes to God must believe that he is. Survey. How many of you believe there's a God? Uh, I was just reading about Stephen Hawking. He said, you know, I, I just reached a conclusion there's probably no God and there's probably no afterlife. And that's a bad conclusion because why then did Jesus bother to explain so much and express so much about heaven and hell and come and lay down his life to prevent us from going to hell and enable us to be able to go to heaven? So man, I don't care how stellar the intellect, how amazing and major, major the accomplishments, when it gets right down to it, it says in in Romans 15, 4, about concerning the scriptures and concerning what God has laid out in the inspired word of God, he said, for whatever was written in earlier times, 
That's the Old and New Testament. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, look at this, we might have hope. We might have hope. Hope in the midst of uncertainty. Hope in the midst of the downturn of, the, of an economy. Hope in the midst of alarming symptoms in your body. Hope in the midst of a terrible diagnosis. Hope against hope, Abraham. In hope against hope, he believed. In other words, he had a biblical hope when all natural, practical, worldly hope was gone. He had a calling on his life to be the father of many nations. Sarah had the responsibility to believe God, to be a mother way past the age that you're supposed to have babies. And I love the phrase in Hebrews 11, Sarah received the ability to conceive past the proper time. And I think a lot of us have FOMO, fear of missing out. We feel like we're a little bit out of place, a little bit out of sync. And you know why? It's because, in fact, all of humanity is out of sync. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And it's kind of like we're all walking, but we've got one foot on the curb and one on the street. It's kind of like a, it's, it's not exactly the stride that was originally intended with Adam and Eve in the garden. But Jesus has restored quite a bit. And I love the song we sang, I am who you say I am. The Bible says that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. You know, we're the protected of the Lord. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. These things were written in earlier times for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Listen, man, let's believe God. Let's believe God that three things, three things. Number one, let's believe God that we're gonna conquer fear. Conquer fear. Second Timothy 1.7, Paul was assuring Timothy. Timothy, his apparently dealt with some insecurities and some intimidation. And uh, you could see that he had to be coached by Paul. But he, Paul said to him, listen, God has not given you a spirit of timidity or fear or cowardice, but of power and love and discipline or a sound mind. So right off the bat, as we're studying about hope, we've got to keep this forefront in our hearts to settle uh, so we don't get we don't lapse into uh, worry and fear. Isaiah 41.10 is such a strong scripture. Isaiah 41.10, Isaiah is prophesying to ancient Israel. And for that matter, we can take hold of this as well. Do not fear, God said, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I remember when I was in that boating accident, I had a boating accident, and it was, pretty, it, it was pretty traumatic. It knocked all of us unconscious, all three of us. We hit a boulder called Arrow Point, about 25 miles per hour. You don't have seatbelts in a, in a boat. They should probably give you seatbelts. Then you say, why would you have seatbelts if it capsized and you couldn't get out? Well, it didn't capsize, and I think we should have had seatbelts. <laughs> Anyway, it just nearly killed the pilot, and then my other friend Keith almost lost his eye, and it knocked me unconscious, broke my ribs and my sternum, and smashed up my face and my arm and everything. And yet, God delivered us. And at a certain point, going in and out of consciousness, I remember speaking to the problem. I was standing there, and I, 
I couldn't even figure out where the keys were to turn the engine off. The motor was just high, you know, RPMs, and, and um, I didn't have the knowledge to know how to get the radio going. Fortunately, Keith did, so he called the Coast Guard. They just happened to be there doing practices, and they flew in in a helicopter and dropped a swimmer down, and he got in, he asked permission to board the boat. Of course, I said yes. He got in there and immediately supplied uh, first aid to, to the people that had the greatest need. They flew me in in critical condition. God sent me out quickly. I was able to, yet I was responsible to stay there so I could communicate to the captain what had happened. I felt it would be tr too traumatic for him to come out and with nobody to be able to explain to him what happened. I was the only one that saw it happen. I had my eyes wide open. The other two didn't see what happened. What I said to my friend was, we had an accident and God had angels around us. You know, and I've had to work through it and process it just like you, we all have to with the situations in our lives but always on the sunny side of a situation. Well, God is good. He didn't put this problem on me, but he's going to work it together for good. Well, the same thing with the flood of 93 when all this valley was all just, just soupy with muddy water. I knew that, hey, I don't have time to try to figure out the technical theology of all the variables of it. What I do know is God is good, he is an ever-present help in the time of need, which this would be the time of need. And he doesn't cause everything, but he causes all things to work together for good. So that's the beauty of it. And uh, I know God didn't cause that wreck. That wreck happened for a number of variables, uh, just, you know, mechanical things, pilot things, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we don't need to waste a lot of time obsessing on that. We just need to rejoice over what didn't happen, how God brought us through, and that there's this big old honking guy in a wetsuit standing there going permission to board is like sure and then God saving my friends well the flood of 93 we worked so hard to get in this building only to have a flood just completely destroy I mean it was just a bad situation all the trees half the way down were dead you can just see a few sprigs of green on the top it just felt like you know what I thought about in Beirut or in Sarajevo and places like that. It just feels like, it just feels bad. And, but you know, when uh, Hurricane Katrina hit, God really prompted our church to spend some time and effort and investment there for a long period of time. And God instructed me right when all that happened, it was at that time the worst natural disaster in US history. So impacted New Orleans and so many people, the surrounding areas was terrible. And, uh, God spoke to me and he said, you know, there are people that are having Hurricane Katrina's in other areas of their lives. And I knew as a local pastor with a calling and a responsibility to lead people to go and invest and work and labor to be sensitive to and never trivialize or minimize the issues of the day in each person's case. So here's the thing I want to say about this. We conquer fear one situation after the other. We look at whatever situation is assailing us and we go to the scriptures. Why? Because these, the things that were written in earlier times were written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. You're lonely. You believe in God. I'm going to find a partner. And you find a partner. You, have a, you fall and you hurt your back. By Jesus' stripes, I am healed. You go through a midlife crisis and you think, okay, other people have been through these and they've survived. I'm going to get through this thing the disorientation of being a teenager. It's like I'm not a child anymore. I'm not an adult yet. 
This is really disorienting. So I'm going to get my orientation and my bearings from God's word. These things were written in earlier times for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Let's just look at this for just 30 seconds. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through about 9. It says to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And I think of two sets of people, Jehoshaphat and the army of Judah in the Old Testament, and Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 in the New Testament. Jehoshaphat faced terrible circumstances, and he said, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. And he began to minister to the Lord like you're doing tonight. We're to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul had to repeat himself. Remember when your parents would repeat something to you? Remember when they said your first and middle name, full name? Stuff like that. When Jesus would say truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to this, like, pay attention to this. Okay, Philippians chapter four, verse four. Again, I say rejoice. Look at this. Let your gentle, forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. So rejoice. Don't be a jerk. Realize and pay attention to the fact that Jesus is always with you. He's the, he's the one that is the audience of one that we're serving and that we live for. God sees the heart. We want to present our heart to God. We're offering up worship, a sacrifice of praise. We're getting back to a heart of worship. You don't just want songs. You want us to worship you from our hearts. It includes music. We use the musicianship to lift our voices, to sing praise to you. And yet, God, we praise you not only when things are really satisfying and wonderful, we rejoice in the high times. And the Bible insists upon us that we even rejoice in the hard times. And it's not sadomasochistic. It's not weird. It's not wrong. What, what it is is it's just, God, you're good no matter what the circumstances. And in all these things, I am more than a conqueror. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I trust you for this. Look at what it says here in the rest of this in Philippians. It says, be anxious, don't worry, don't sweat, and don't, don't get all full of anxiety over anything. Be anxious for nothing. Say that. Be anxious for nothing. But, look, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. One modern translation says it in a one-two punch. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That's pretty awesome. And you know what's interesting about prayer? You could feel really spiritual and encouraged and enthusiastic, even sense the presence of God, and that's great. Or you could be in the moment where your emotions have seized you, you're down and depressed, things are really ugly, and you're desperate. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Look at this. Look what it says. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension will actually guard your hearts and your minds. We need both. We need the center of our life, our spiritual being, to be stabilized. I remember when our boating accident, it was, it, I think, for a year and a half afterwards, I was traumatized by it. And I had to walk through it. I had no uh, real experience with that up until that point. And it was mind-numbing. It was impactful to my emotions. But by the grace of God, by having a wonderful family, church family, God helped me to plow through it. And whatever, whatever situation you're facing, God is mindful of you. He knows where you're freaking out. He knows where you're confident. He knows where you need a boost. He knows where you're assured. He knows where things are weak. He knows how to make the crooked paths straight, raise up the valleys, pulverize the mountains. 
If you're depressed, he knows how to lift you up. If you're distracted and giddy and, and, and overly emotional, he knows how to rein that in. He, he's, he gives life to the oppressed. He knows how to deliver us. So we come to him and we say, God, I have a friend. He's, he's in heaven now. His name was Richard. He was a fishing guide in the big northern, beautiful northern woods of Wisconsin for over 70 years. He lived to nearly 90. He had a condition where he hemorrhaged and he was in the hospital and the doctors tried to stop the bleeding, gave him transfusions, tried to give him, I guess, blood clotting type of medicines and stuff. Then finally they said, you know, you're going to have to gather your family. There's nothing we can do. And he said, Instead of gathering his family, he said, could you guys all just please leave the room for a minute? He said this, and he explained this to me like a child. He was a totally different person. His, his harsh edge was gone. It was replaced with this little glow of glint in his eye. And he said, I laid in my bed and I said, God, you don't hear much from me, but if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. And... Uh, just the, just the honesty and the authenticity of that. He then lived for an extra couple of years. And so for him to tell me this, it was just, he, he was attributing this to God answering his prayer. Praise God for that. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then look what it says in verse eight. It says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, of good repute, good reputation, good report, if there's any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise. Look what the scripture exhorts us to do. Dwell on these things. Listen, we're going to ponder things. We're going to become preoccupied with things. We're going to focus on things. We might as well dwell on the true, honorable, pure, right, praiseworthy, things of good repute. Like, I, I personally... I hate to see people's reputation besmirched. I hate to see how almost like the, what seems to be the gladiator days of the Roman Colosseums, where they're like, ah, there's so much hate in the, in the realm of humanity. And he says, let your gentle forbearing spirit be known to all men. Rejoice in the Lord always. This isn't just going through the motions. This is a hard thing. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God, please help me. Help my heart to conquer fear. Listen, two other verses. Psalm 49.5, it says, Why should I fear in the days of adversity? And the Psalm 53.5 says, There they were in great fear where no fear had been. They were afraid in a moment where they didn't even need to be afraid. And, and David even said, What time I am afraid, I'm going to trust in you. Everybody say conquer fear. Number two, we build faith. And how do we do that? Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. I've had to lock myself into a room and I identified a particular preacher that had gone through something similar to what I was facing. And I thought, well, he's, on, he's, he's farther along in it. He's had some experience with it. He's credible in his voicing of what he's been through. I'm going to listen to what he has to say. I sat and listened and listened and listened and listened. And it offset the fear and it started to replace it with confident expectation and firm persuasion in what the promises of God's, God's word were. 
And when the flood hit our church, I had so much built in my spirit through Bible school and through the earlier beginnings of my Christian life, through other problems I had been through, that when I faced that, I knew somehow what the enemy meant for harm, God's going to turn around for good. With that boat wreck, what the enemy meant for harm, God will turn around for good. Paul the Apostle said in Philippians chapter 1, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Hallelujah. So we believe God's going to create a favorable outcome in whatever situation we're in. He that comes to God must have two things. He must believe that he is, is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Psalm 3.8 in the Message Bible, the first part, uh, real help. Salvation belongs to the Lord, but in the Message Bible, it's real help comes from God. Say that with me. Real help comes from God. You're raising kids, you need real help that comes from God. You go out and you're driving in this world, you need the angels of the Lord to encamp around you. You take on all the daunting responsibilities of life in modern time, you can fully expect God to come in and bring strength to you, give wisdom to you, inform you, guide you, and help you to meld together and mesh and become all that God's called you to be. Amen? We build faith on the, uh, God's faithfulness. I am so grateful that God put so much instilled in my spirit that when I had to face off with that situation, I felt depressed, I felt like a victim, I felt upset, there were things that didn't reconcile, yet I knew God was gonna turn things around for good. And it wasn't me spinning the plates of being a confident believer, it was how confidence producing God's faithfulness is. Whatever situation you're facing right now, and I'm sure you're facing something, you could carry this into a situation and it could put out the fires. It could calm the storms. And it's not just for us. We're to be carrying this hope into the world we're in right now because man, boy, does it need it. It needs people who know how to strategize, know how to act quickly in a situation, know how to provide love and care, know how to respond in every situation. And God gives us that kind of supernatural know-how. Number three, and I close, act on what you believe. I believe that Jesus is available. I'm going to go to him. And I tell you, I love the honesty of the fisherman Richard. And he closed the door at the hospital. And he said, God, you, he didn't say, God, I am an amazing holy man. I have been serving you all my life since I was in, June, in middle school. He didn't say any of that stuff. He didn't have any of that. You know what he said? You don't hear from me very often, but can you help me? The Bible says this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. Who in here has found in your own life some supernatural breakthrough, some kind of answers in situations? How many of you would like to see some of that right now? How many of you are concerned about the world we're in? Well, Jesus died to give everybody in the population a chance to hear his word and to come to know him. But you might be the only Bible a person will ever read. A guy texted me, he said yesterday his 92-year-old dad apologized to him for not talking to him for five years when he converted and became a Christian. He said, I've been wanting to tell you this. I, you know, I'm sorry I did that. And I, I believe at 92, 93 years old, a man could come and know that Jesus is Lord. My fishing guide got saved. 
Boy, that was such a time for me. Look, I caught two six-pound bass in a row one time with that guy. He put me on the fish, two six-pound bass. That gave me an endorphin rush. But nothing could compare to how I felt after all the fishing, looking in his fresh eyes and seeing that he had become a Christian. The word got through to this guy way up in the North Woods in obscurity. In a church, he, would never, you know, he wasn't a church guy. And it was the seed that broke through. Hallelujah. I'll close with this. A couple in the church were going for a walk in a freshly paved new area of development. And they had put four inches of asphalt. First they had put gravel down and then they, they graded. Then they put gravel and then they put four inches of fresh hot asphalt and packed it and rolled it with a big roller and it had settled. And they went for a walk on their usual walkway and they looked over and they saw one blade of grass had pushed completely through the gravel, the packed ground, the gravel, and that four inches of asphalt and it was popping through. That's the power of a seed. Has anyone ever seen that? How many of you need it right now in your spirit? I just sowed about 57,000 seeds in you. And I know one of them is going to germinate and sprout. Everybody say conquer fear. Build faith. Act on what you believe. Say this with me. I'm a believer. I'm not a doubter. I am confident that what God has started, he will bring to pass. Not by might, not by my power, but by the Holy Spirit. My God will see me through.